Good afternoon and welcome back to USTA Florida's Ear to Serve podcast. My name is Laura Bowen and I am the Executive Director at USTA Florida. In today's episode, I had a chance to sit down with Brian Dillman, the new CEO of USPTA. Now, Brian's been in tennis since the age of 12. He started as a junior player in Dallas, and he became a nationally ranked junior player in the state of Texas. He also played for the University of Illinois, and he's been a certified teaching professional since 1991. In fact, He's been a teaching professional, a USTA umpire, a tournament director, and he's even been a volunteer at USTA Dallas. Outside of tennis, Brian brings an extensive background in sporting goods, fitness, and even fashion. He's done a little bit of everything from senior leadership to global marketing, sourcing, and supply chain. I'm excited to talk to him and hear more about his plans for making sure that our coaching industry can serve more players today and in the future. I hope you enjoy this episode of the podcast and make sure to check our social media channels where you can leave your questions for Brian. Thanks Hi. for coming by. Jordan You're welcome. Today. It was a long, it was a long commute. I know, it was a long walk. <laughs> Jordan, do you, you need a break? <laughs> <laughs> Can I catch my breath? <laughs> oh, well, it's great to have you as our neighbor and great to have you here in Florida. I just kind of wanted to start a little bit by maybe having you share a little bit about your background and maybe something that people don't know about you that might surprise them. So uh, I grew up in, in the Dallas, Texas area, played junior tennis. Um, I, maybe one thing would be I play tennis because I can't swim. Oh, um, I literally okay. stopped in the middle of a IM um, competition at the Riverside Tennis and Swim Club in Shreveport, Louisiana, and got out of the pool and walked to the tennis courts and said, "I think I can do this instead of swimming." You can swim; you're just not good at it. Is that what you're saying? Because you let's uh, go with that. Let's go with your answer. No, no, I think, yeah, no, I, no, I, basically, I'm not a cardio person. I can, but but tennis, I seem to, I seem to do things. So. I grew up playing there. Um, I started teaching, you know, as, uh, as in, at the end of high school, helping with camps and stuff, played college tennis, came back and, and was a teaching professional right out of college. And my, my mentor and professional who was a USPTA certified pro kind of laid out a path for me and said, here's how you can join the industry. And then um, at the same time, my family was a USTA family of the year in Texas. So we were, we were involved, very involved in the Dallas Tennis Association and and the USTA for years. So I've been a life member since I think the age of 15. And um, and you were official. I was an official. Actually, the fun part, I officialed Bill Scanlon against Alex O'Brien in the finals of the Dallas Cotton Bowl. Uh, and and I called the ball out against Bill Scanlon and he actually looked and questioned me. And he and I, we used to play together all the okay. time. And so I'm like, back off, buddy. You know, you know it's out. So yeah, no, I officialed too, and I ran tournaments. I was a tournament director. So just the ethos of how I grew up in, mm -hmm. in that environment was, you know, you give, they give. You know, we yeah. give to tennis, and then tennis gives it back to you. It's really interesting because a lot of times I talk to people, and they get sort of um, branded as one thing, right? So, you know, obviously people know you now. Like we never met before, and right. I think now as the USPTA CEO. But what's great about having conversations with people in tennis is that a lot of times you find out that, 
this might be my job now, but I'm so much more than that. And that was one of the things that I really appreciated about reading your background. And you have a background outside of tennis as well with like supply chain. Sure. Oh, yeah. Can you talk a little bit about maybe some of the things you've done there that might surprise people? Um, I've, uh, I've made tennis rackets in Asia. Like we helped develop tennis rackets there. Um, I've played, uh, I'm actually technically the Turkish national table tennis champion. Like ping pong, what we call ping pong, it. yeah, and it's because the guy that I played with was number three in Turkey. Okay. He said, "I think he's he said, that. okay." And I beat him, so therefore I therefore. consider myself national champion. Yeah. Turkey, what about so. number two guy? He wasn't available. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I like your thinking. So if I go out to the courts and the top players aren't available, I'm just the winner of all time. That day, you are. That you are day, a champion. did exactly. you hear that? That yes, day. That day. That day on my HOA court, <laughs> I will be the champion. number one. That's probably the only way yeah. that I'm going to be the champion of anything. Um, um, I've spent a lot of time internationally, and so I've, I've met a lot of people. I've done a lot of things, you know, and, and that's, I think, you know, compiling all that together is, is one of the reasons I think I'm here is, you know, just meeting and listening and learning and understanding culture and understanding people, I think, is one of my best skills. And I love that about, I mean, curiosity, I think, is is one of the things we all should continue to to have at the top of our mind as we as we grow as we grow yeah that's a great trait to have we just did a podcast on on continuing like having a learning mindset mm -hmm. so that kind of dives right into that coaching is such a hot topic in our industry right now I and mean, we could we could do a three-hour pod on coaching i think at this point i wanted to know from your perspective you have a really broad perspective and you have a business background <clears throat> what do you see as working well in the coaching area right now and what areas do you think that maybe we need to look at more closely changing or adding, maybe we're not doing something, to bring more players into tennis? So I, I, I joke, I missed the boring part of racket sports, which is, you know, the last, you know, prior to the prior mm -hmm. to COVID and prior to pickleball and all that. And, and I think right now the thing that's working well is everything's up. I mean, you know, the professionals are busy. There's jobs available. There's, there's a need. There's a desperate need for jobs. Um, professionals are making good money. I mean, they're, they're working they're and they're active and they're busy and there's opportunities. There's new clubs being built. There's new facilities that are growing. So I think the opportunity is what's working well. I mean, and, and adding all of racket sports together is another update with Padel, with pickle, with squash becoming an Olympic sport. I mean, racket sports in general is on the uptick. Yeah. And, and for many, I, I laugh also because now you're getting golfers walking over to play pickle, to play maybe tennis or to play padel or to play others, even platform because other sports are more conducive, more family oriented, more, more social. So that's, I think what's working really well. I think what's, what's missing, I think right now is the demand from the consumer to demand a certified professional. Mm -hmm. I, I think, you know, you wouldn't go to a doctor that wasn't, you know, didn't have a medical degree. You wouldn't go to a lawyer that mm -hmm. didn't pass the bar. Why? And, and you won't take a golf lesson from somebody that's not PGA of America certified. So why would you not demand a racket sports or a tennis professional is certified? Yeah. And, and I think that would just help raise the level of the industry. And, you know, there's more than one certification body and that's okay too. So it's not just USPTA services, just be certified, but the consumer should demand that um, just like they would demand a plumber to be a certified plumber before they, you know, rip open yeah. their pipes. And I think the way to, to do that. And if, and if we can do that from the consumer side, then I think, people will take our industry more seriously. Um, I mean, think about it. 
tennis started 150 years ago. And Major Walter Walter Clapton Wingfield, Walton Clapton Wingfield, Wingfield. Say that live by tennis fans. He was out carrying this that you know this box of stuff trying to pitch the sport. Mm -hmm. There have been professional teachers since then. So for people not to take our industry seriously, I think is a slap in the face to our industry and the people in it. But on the flip side, we need to promote the fact that certification is important. It's necessary. And and there are careers here. Yeah. And I think, you know, one of the things is we don't have enough ability to get certified. And we know that that's been a challenge. And and particularly, you know, we have uh, four facilities and we hire Mm -hmm. pros all the time. And we're at the point where we've even had to schedule and pay for our own certifications. And we're like, okay. If we say this is valuable and this is what the consumer should ask for, how do we make sure there's enough certified professionals or it's more clear how to get it so that they're not waiting eight months to take their training or get their certification? Mm -hmm. And I think that piece of the puzzle, like we didn't expect this type of demand. I mean, exactly right. right, Exactly right. Yeah. Yeah, And I think as I mean, you know, we're ramping up our coach developers. I know the USTA is. I know the other organizations are, too. And I think that's what's necessary. Um, And what's interesting is, you know, there's a switch, you know, in the old days. I I promise I won't say that again. But (laughs) prior to the new accreditation, we're actually teaching somebody to become a professional. You were really just giving them an evaluation on what how you rank as a professional today. Then you had the option to go out and get more education certification. Now we're actually teaching the professionals at least the baseline skills. So that's a little bit different because, you know, in the past you could be a tennis professional for a few years, go get a rating. Okay. I'm a level one, level two, level three. And now I can choose to be a part and then work my way up. Now we're actually trying to set a baseline for minimum standards, which I think is necessary too, because you want players to have fun, succeed and learn the skills. So I'm, I'm okay with that, but I think it's just a mind shift as well that we're teaching people what we want them to, what we want them to do as opposed to rating them on how they are. You know, I think about that, like with my PMP certification, I use this example a lot is that, you know, I joined PMI, but I'm, that doesn't mean I'm certified. I joined correct, PMI, correct. And one of the reasons I joined PMI like, you know, 10 years ago was to get education and training so that I could sit for the PMP. And I had a lot of professional experience at that time. So in, in terms of coaching, I might have been like a four five five zero player that had played college right, tennis, right. like, and so I knew what I was doing, and so I just needed sort of that last little push to get that certification. But then they have other certifications like Capham and, and et cetera. So somebody that's a little more junior in their career that doesn't bring that background, that might be more on lower level of the scale, but they can still coach. And so right. the message is, hey, everyone can learn this. You might not all be certified at the end of your career, but everyone can learn this. Join us, and then here's all kinds of education and a lot of it's user generated mm-hmm. too all through like a, a portal right and i think that's one of the things that i'm really curious about with your professional background i know you've done things with supply chain and technology business and sometimes i feel like we're so far behind in technology in this industry that you know everything's done in post. <laughs> um and there is value to that but do you see any any shift or any need for us to do better, different, more in the tech space? I think there needs to be more choices. Mm-hmm. I, th- I think the the level one, sort of the level twos, those are, and we do both. We do online and we do in person. But I think there needs to be more choices so you can go to your point. I think it's great because I think not every professional is created the same. Mm-hmm. I think we have people that want to be community coaches and that's mm-hmm. their specialty and they want to work 
in that environment. We have people that want to be private coaches. We have people that want to, how do I be a tour coach? What if I want to coach on tour? What, what do I do? Where do I go? Um, I want to be a college coach. I want to be, uh, I want to do adaptive. I mean, so I think we need multiple tracks once you get in the system or once you join, you know, join the organization so you can choose or they can choose and say, okay, I really want to learn, you know, the private sector. So I want to get part of this club management association. I want to be part of this and I want to get those certifications. I think we need to, as we treat this as a baseline, as a career, with any other career, there's there's choices and there's paths. I think we're missing that element where we're not out selling racket sports and tennis as a as a professional serious career path. Yeah, I agree, and I think there's more paths to that too. I mean, when you think about full time, part time, side hustle, whatever. I mean, you've got sort of the um, the gig economy, which really exploded. You know, in 2020, we kind of missed that boat. Right. Right. Oh, kind of right. The gig economy, right. 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 And like that was super popular for people. So. I love all the things that you're bringing up. And I know before you mentioned sort of the, the overall racket sports are growing. So I wanted to ask you, where do you see pickleball and paddle in this discussion? Uh, necessary and, and an opportunity. I mean, I think every, our industry is so so um, used to looking right and left. What are they doing? What are they doing? What's Brent's? What's Elson? What's Head? What's USTA? What's whatever? Yeah. If you look at it as an opportunity, then you figure out, okay, for our professionals and our members, it's an opportunity for them to grow, maybe get a better job, maybe expand their facility, maybe learn something new, maybe get new membership. So I see it as all part of the same ecosystem because I think it's it, A leads to B leads to C, but it's also, it's better for all to be out and active. So if you think about it as an activity and getting out of the house, getting off the couch, you know, getting, being not complacent, it's all good. And I think it's not for everybody, but it doesn't have to be. Mm -hmm. And I think that we're going to offer education and certifications for all, not that you would ever teach it necessarily, but you at least ought to understand the business of it. I mean, what Padel does for their professional league and their tournaments, we ought to learn in tennis. Maybe there's some things yeah. we can do differently there. So I think it's it's being open-minded. It's it's being a learning, yeah, learning right. mindset, right? Yeah, and that not everything translates. I mean, obviously you mentioned, you know, racquetball and there's mm -hmm. squash and there's, yeah. you know, these things have been around, you know, I, I use the racquetball example so often because if you, if you go around Florida enough, um, you know, a lot of public parks have these, like, I call them small prisons. Yeah. The, three, the three, three wall concrete. <laughs> yes. Uh, yes, exactly. Right. <laughs> I do. And they're frightening to me, but like you go around and you see these and nobody's playing that, right. right. You know, and I think that was, there was a lot that happened in that space and you know, the seventies. That's where the seventies. Yeah, and, and so, there's always been other racket mm -hmm. sports. Like this isn't so new and different. It's more to your point. How do they live together? How do we view them as an opportunity to learn, right? Mm -hmm. And that may be different in, in different spaces. Private clubs are different than public parks. Mm -hmm. And, you know, uh, pickle and paddle are very different. I mean, watching them both oh, yeah. and the skill level, like, um, yeah, I've, I've watched Marcos and, oh, he's an and I'm just like, oh yeah. God. Like, I and that's a different game than you and I yeah. would play. Exactly. Well, you and I would, <laughs> it would not be much of a match, would tell you. <laughs> but I think what, what we're missing, and I think what the what the industry misses, is put it in the eyes of the consumer. What does the consumer yeah. want? True. If the consumer wants to play pickle, do you want them as a customer or not? And, yeah. and that now it's up to you. Yeah. If you're going to create an opportunity for them to play and learn and, and socialize, fantastic. If you're not, then you're making a choice. Right. 
but but don't blame the sport on it. The consumer right. is the king at this point. Right. Yeah. Ex exactly. I mean, we could we could talk about those for for hours, and you know, table tennis has been an Olympic sport for like ever. Absolutely. I mean, and that's really fun to watch um, on the Olympics. So I want to talk about doing new things. Mm -hmm. um, our industry as a whole, myself included, we sometimes struggle to embrace new ideas and even new people. Right. It's a very like clickish environment here. We tend to kind of go back to the way things worked like 30, 40 years ago and say, like, you know, your years of experience, oh, you know, lead us to the future. Why do you think that is? And what do you think it will take for us to embrace new technology and new ways of doing business? I'm going to go back to my consumer comment. You know, the consumer does drive all of this. And, you know, and coming from it, you know, a tennis club where you used to take court reservations on paper now to using technology to book your courts and book your lessons. Um, I was listening to a, uh, a conference that um, Fernando Siegel put on and they were interviewing people about new technology and how slow our industry is to embrace. And, and I think it's because there's no shortcut to learning tennis. It's, it's a difficult sport. And, and it is now what you could do is take the pathway to say, learn red ball or learn pickle and then evolve into the next kind of levels to get you there. But, but it's the speed at which our consumer is moving. Yeah. You know, if it's not on your phone, it doesn't exist. So if, if we're not talking to our consumers through their, their devices, we're not relevant. Exactly. And what's, we were talking the other day too, with, um, with Martin at the USDA said, you know, tennis is like the eighth choice for most athletes. So first it's the top four or five team sports, then it's individual sports. So, so we're not even getting the best of the best athletes. And when we are, we're not talking to them like they want to be talked to. So I think it's imperative on us to start listening more, yeah. being open and, and presenting new technologies to the whole industry. Say, could this work as opposed to it won't work? There are two examples that um, come to mind all the time that really sort of blow my mind. And you mentioned one of them with point of sale, like you and both, you and I both have Apple watches on, right? Yeah. And it just drives me bananas that I can go, you know, when I, whenever I travel, I try to go to local coffee shops and it's like these mom and pop operations and I can go in and they, yep. oh, yep. just yep. Yep. right. Yet I've yet to be at a tennis court where I can do that. And and I'm thinking this exists, like this has been out for a while now. What's the impediment? The other example, which you know, you mentioned about tennis being hard to learn, and and I was at a conference, uh, I think it was a DE and I conference mm -hmm. with all the sports, and I was fascinated by what NASCAR did. And we're talking about like a traditional mentality. Sure. That when they created these um, this way these ways where they went out and they mapped all of their tracks and they they had this theory that if kids could drive in these virtual sim simulators they could get so good that they actually could drive a car and they they did wow and it was such an interesting look at how the virtual space could or could not translate into actual mm -hmm. like motor skills and neurons. And I've been fascinated with that for about the past year with watching what some of these companies are doing in that space to say, could the muscle memory just by doing, you know, using the Oculus and doing that. And yet I never hear that talked about, right? Outside of the companies mm -hmm. that are really exploring that, the things like using this for point of sale, using virtual reality. Do you think we'll ever get over that hurdle? Yeah, 
you hope so. You really hope so because you see some sports evolving, and like esports, which you know esports, and, and they've actually added the word sports to the end of it, and and now it's becoming a collegiate sport and things like that. So I hope so because to to remain relevant, we have to be relevant, and and the relevance that we offer not only is the health and the competition and and all the great things that come along with our sport. But if we're not relevant, we're, we're going to start aging out and well, we're already aging out, but we're going to start losing that consumer until they get to where they're past their prime. And and I think that that is kind of what we're seeing is, you know, like we'll pick them up later in life that the youth are, you know, youth today are just so different. And if we're not, it's not even meeting them in the middle. You have to go to where they are. Yeah. And, you know, one of the things that we're thinking we're going to start doing is we're going to start doing tech webinars for our membership, Mm -hmm. just allowing people who are in the tech world who think this is a good idea, just present it. We don't we don't have nobody has to buy it. Nobody has to sell it. And I don't want it to be a hard sell thing. And I think that's the other thing in our industry. People are so used to being sold as opposed to sharing information. And so if, if somebody's got a new line calling system or new VR or or some new technology, we ought to expose it to our membership and let them decide. That's right. But but also, I think it's an opportunity for some innovators to do some new things and try new things without too much risk before they can actually go to market with it. And sometimes I want to put a, you know, my my nephews do the robotics thing, Mm -hmm. um, which is completely foreign. But like sometimes I want to get those kids in a room and say, hey, teenagers, do this. What should we be doing? Like what would make this fun for you? And just listen to because sometimes, you know, we're missing that voice in the room of that generation, right? Because even the people who are selling us these items or presenting these items, they're not in that demographic. I'm smiling because every time you hand a kid something, they always do it the complete, whatever it is, they use it and they handle it the complete opposite of the way it's intended to because that's how their brain works. Yeah, That's a great idea. idea. I mean, our, our, our focus groups ought to be you know, ought to be 18 and yeah, 18 and under as opposed to our- We even talked about college players like coming in and saying, you know, if that's who we're trying to get to enter the coaching business, you know, put a cohort of them together and say, design coach training on the way that it would be meaningful to you. Like, what kind of training would you want to go to? Would you want to sit in a classroom all day? Or are you looking for virtual training? Like, what what does that look like? Right. Um, what's interesting. So what's our estimate? Let's let's both take a guess. Because I, th- I have an estimate, but I don't know. What percentage of professionals in the United States, certified or run, so there's roughly 40,000, give or take, mm-hmm. do you think- played or had involvement in college tennis? Hmm. I think a fair number in Florida played, but I don't know that they graduated. So I I get the sense that it's probably 50%, maybe less. I I would think it may be a little bit more, and and whether you graduate or not. But the the point is, that's our incubator. Mm -hmm. That's where we need to start recruiting and asking and listening. Because for them to consider it as a career after college, we have to be relevant. Otherwise, I mean, it's, and I think what um, uh, Simon's doing on campus of having, you know, five day work weeks and having some, and having some life balance and and things like that is changing the way we're looking at the professional industry. Um, You know, golf does it very well. Golf, golf mandates, you know, a certain balance to life. And I think that's what's going to keep us relevant with that age. Yeah. And and I think all, Again, that's where I would sort of go to these kids in high school mm-hmm. and, and college and say, what's meaningful to you coming out? And I, I think there uh, there's also been talk about you know, treating it more like a trade, mm-hmm. which, you know, I, I taught my dad was a plumber and my um, 
my parents are both blue collar people. And and now later in life, I'm like, man, I really should have learned. He, every time I fix something in my house, he's like, you're now certified. <laughs> yep, exactly talk. right. Like we tease that, oh, now I can do toilets. <laughs> and now I got this pipe. But I think about it and I think, you know, going back or if I was doing it again today with college being the cost that it is, I would have made a very different choice and said, you know, I want to go into that business. I can be my own boss. I can run that business. I can make a lot of money. I can set my own schedule. Like there are some benefits that we don't do and that we try to fit tennis into. But are we really paying attention to there's an opportunity here that maybe we're not looking at and we should look at it differently that if you don't need a college degree and if, and if college is this expensive, maybe this is a, an answer for you. And then at some point, you know, you decide if that degree is worth it. Fascinating point, and I could not agree more. So there was a gentleman doing a level two workshop with us a couple weeks ago that I met from Washington, D.C. He couldn't afford to go to college, so he started teaching tennis. Mm -hmm. He then got into the CMAA program, and he's using that as his education. Now he's getting level two certified. He's going to go work in Europe for four years, which my experience in Europe was better than an education. Then he's going to come back, continue his CMAA, and his ultimate goal is to be a club manager. That is the perfect career path. And you don't take on college debt. You don't have to stress about it. You're doing something you love yeah. and you're learning along the way. Yeah. If, if we could find more people like that, this industry would be robust and full of people that are energetic yeah. about it. I think we have sources like our NJTLs and others where there's a lot of kids that can't afford college these days and say, hey, we're going to give you a different career path and education. And by the way, you might make enough money that you can go to college on your timeline and you'll, you won't incur that debt. Guaranteed employment. I mean, where else can you go to an industry where you can promise somebody a job tomorrow? Yeah. Well, this is, I mean, these are the types of things that like get me excited. Uh I'm like, let's do things differently. Um, I want to shift gears a little bit. You've officially moved to Florida, so welcome. Thank you. I live in Florida. Are words that I never thought I would say, but I'm thrilled to be here. Well, I especially mean, when it's minus wanna, thirty in Chicago. Knowing you're so. from Texas, I kind of know that the heat doesn't so so much bother you here. So no. hopefully, you're happy to return to a warm, you know, place. Uh, what are your impressions of the Sunshine State so far, and what has surprised you most in your new role? Um, the friendliness um, using Sir and Ma'am again, which I you don't yeah. get in the. We are quite quite friendly and quite southern. I feel I feel like I'm back in the south, which I love because my grew up in Texas. My first sales territory was Louisiana, Mississippi, Arkansas. So so this this Sun Belt and this Southeast and, and Florida is, is part of the, the DNA. So I love being back that as a matter of fact, a couple of the, the colleagues over the USPTA are like Sir and Mr. I'm like we can be more casual than that. It's Brian to you, but um, and I think you know. The surprise, not not really a surprise at the job, but the enthusiasm and the energy for this organization is fabulous. And I think, you know, that's what we bring. We bring energy and passion. I mean, we're in the sport, we're in the sports world, we're in a sport that we all love. So if we're not excited and enthusiastic about we're it, I think we're space. we're in the wrong space. Yeah. Okay. I mean, and, and I and I feel lucky to be here. You know, somebody asked me in another um, conversation I was having, like, are you coming here to retire? I'm like, the opposite. I'm just getting started. I mean, that was a fair question, but normally it'd be Naples for retirement, not, not here. So no, I, I am thrilled to be here and, and just can't wait to, to really dig in. And, and to me, the recruiting of new, newer, newer coaches and newer professionals, 
is priority number one. And the second is creating these educational tracks and paths. So once we get really get meaty into that, I think I'm, it's going to be a blast. Well, good. I mean, we're happy to have you. Um, Florida is very friendly and, and Southern. Um, when I moved from D.C., I mean, I'm from Florida originally, but I worked in D.C. for a long time. And I remember coming to Florida and Daytona and I went into a store and the woman wouldn't stop talking to me. And I felt very uncomfortable. Yeah, right. I was used to people just being annoyed. Right. Exactly. Right. <laughs> So you get used to it after a while, and then you go back north, and you're like, "Why is no yes, one speaking to me?" Right. You're like, "Hello," right. and people look at you like, "What's uh, wrong with you?" So we're funny. we're happy to have you here, Thank and um, I know you've had the opportunity so far to engage with a ton of people. I think mm -hmm. you've been here a couple months mm -hmm. now. Um, how can all of us? I mean, all of us. <laughs> work together going forward to grow the game. Like for so long, I feel like we've kind of worked in our silos. What do you think we can do to get everybody sort of together to say, hey, well, when when tennis grows or, or rackets grow, mm -hmm. we all win. So how do we do that? I think we got to let the scar tissue go. Mm -hmm. I, I think we have to just stop looking right and left and look forward and realize that we're in a a bubble that the bubble is we don't know how long it'll last or what is going to be next or what could happen to yeah. our world or things like that so and i think it's check the egos at the door realize that if you do your own if you run your own business really well then it really doesn't matter what other people do in in relation to your business but i think the ethos of tennis that i've grown up with is about service and giving and nobody gets to where you are in the industry without somebody helping you along the way and vice versa. So I think it's our obligation to bind, you know, bond together and join arms and say it's a we, not a me. And so I think it just it's just attitude. I mean, I don't think there's anything stronger than, you know, all of us. I mean, we're we're I mean, for goodness sakes, we're we're on the national campus, squeezed between <laughs> national and I mean we have the and cows. We, and we share cows. We, we share, share cows. And I watch people secretly hit on the red clay courts. I mean, I think I'm just a little bit. We have a nice view of that. <laughs> but it's all about our, our attitude and intent. But I think we're a service and a giving organization, and that's always been my ethos. So we're here. We're here to we're here to be part. And and I don't think if we are here to be part of every solution that helps people get into the game and help people, you know, more professionals do it as well. Yeah, I think you said it earlier, and I've always wondered if it's like the fact that tennis is an individual sport and people are used to competing against each other, like who's am I doing better than mm -hmm. that person? Um, but I also think that there's sort of this idea of um, every a scarcity of resources. You know, we've, we've heard that a lot in a, in a lot of different places in the world today of like, we're all competing for like this small bucket. But the truth is, is that we're not because mm -hmm. the bucket itself is infinite. It's infinite. Mm -hmm. and, and, and it keeps refilling. And it keeps because refilling. It, because it keeps refilling. Yeah. Exactly. And I don't know if because for so long, maybe the numbers were stagnant, it wasn't growing, that people got sort of this mentality of like, the, the bucket's never going to grow, so I have to get more than this person. But now that the bucket's growing, I think to your point, it's like, let all of that go. The bucket's growing. The bucket is bigger than we can service right now. That's exactly Like, that is the yeah, truth. Right. Like, we cannot service the whole bucket. Right. So we must work together to figure out like how do we add more so that we can continue to to support more. So 
Um, I love, I mean, I love having you here. I love the energy and everything that you bring. I love having you as our neighbor. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. It's great. It was great. And, um, you know, we, we play, I've already, you know, played tennis with Jason a few times. Yeah. And we've had some, we've had some fun and we'll continue to do that. Amy and I said, if you, you need to boost your ego, uh, you <laughs> here on the court with you anytime. <laughs> and, uh, but I love that too. I love that our, our, our ecosystem is made up. We have Mo Valley here. The, the Mo Valley mm -hmm. USDA came in here and there was uh, one of their staff members said, I don't play tennis. I never played tennis, but I love working here. And I love that our ecosystem, you said it, it's sort of like the service and the giving back piece. And then saying like, you, people always think, oh, you have to be a good tennis player to work there. Like, no, you don't have to play tennis at all. You just have to have that heart for service right. and, and see the impact that the sport has. It's been around 150 years for a reason. It has such a positive impact. It is the healthiest choice. I mean, we we can debate that all all, all the racket sports and right, value, right. but um, you know, Dr. Haymine says it best when he talks about um, the different ways. And it's social, and you you know, you get the mental. Which who doesn't need you know mental well-being these days? So well, it's yeah. funny. The, the minute you meet somebody in our industry, you're immediately connected. Yeah. Right. Shared experiences, shared beliefs. Yeah. And and if we all believe, and and the other thing is, we're not for profits. I mean, so. Can we get out of our own way for 30 seconds and realize this is not about making money and making a bottom line. This is actually nothing but growth. I mean, we if we're not growth mindset, we have we're actually doing the wrong thing by the charter of our organizations. We're here to feed the ecosystem, right? That's yeah. what our resources do. Feed the eco, not the ego. Well, yeah. Let's do that. There's a new tagline. There you go. <laughs> But I mean, that's our, our, I mean, our mission, our, our, your mission, the, everybody's mission here is actually not for profit. So that means anything we do has to be reinvesting and reinventing everything we do. And, and again, I, I think uh, I've been very lucky working for this organization. And I know that you'll feel the same coming into USBTA that, um, you know, do we do everything 100% right? No, nobody does. Right. But at the end of the day, when you go back to the tennis courts and you see and people say thank you so much for what you do and, you know, thank you for bringing these programs has really changed my life, my family's life, you know, and, and it's it's remarkable to have a sport that anybody can play of any ability in any age. Right. You know, team sports, you just can't do that. You got to find other people to play. And uh, so it's just, it's wonderful. And I'm, I'm just super happy to have you here. Well, thank you. Yeah. One of the last, I'll just share one other thing. You know, when, when we used, I was in the, you know, Wilson Sporting Goods for a long time and when we used to see somebody using one of our products, we called it in the wild. Okay. <laughs> you know, it means somebody reached in their pocket, pulled it out, paid money for it, and is using a product that we developed. That's how we should feel about what we do. We need to see more people in the wild, playing our sports, participating in our programs, on the courts teaching, taking lessons, and learning, and, and growing, and socializing. So I think that's, I, I, I couldn't be more happy. Thank you so much for having me today because this has been a blast. And again, we could talk for well, days. I mean, we we, you, I think you and I could certainly talk for days. <laughs> we'll do another pod with you soon and, you know, in a few months. Uh, but again, thank you. Thank you for being on the pod today. And I'm sure we'll get some questions on the social. So we'll forward that along to you and you can uh, answer from our, from our wonderful audience who, you know, keeps us on our toes. But I love such it. a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. That's all for this episode of USDA Florida's Here to Serve podcast. I hope you enjoyed the topic. Please check our social media channels for more ways to engage with USDA Florida during our 75th anniversary year. And for more, 
upcoming topics, dates, and episodes of the pod, visit U.S.